0: Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Today, as you're having to see, get your Bibles out and go with me to the Book of Acts, chapter number 15. We've been in a series in the Book of Acts called "The Story of Us." You know, For those of you that are just joining us, maybe you've been with us in the month of December and you're saying, wait, you guys have been doing Christmas messages. Well, before that, we were launching out in the early part of this year into the book of Acts. We start in chapter 1, and we've just been going story by story. Now, this is not just the story of the history of the Christian church, even though you can find how the church had its beginnings and how it was birthed and how God poured out his spirit. It's not just the story of the apostles and what happened to them after Jesus ascended, even though you can find out some of that in here. But really, the Bible tells that all of the stories contained in the scriptures are for our examples. They're for our learning. Learning what? Learning how we ought to live life today. So really, this is the story of us. And in Acts chapter 15, let me just kind of rewind your thinking a little bit. At the beginning of the chapter, we found out that a dispute broke out. There was a fight. A fight over what? Over whether or not the Gentiles, people that were formerly outside of the covenants of God, but now who had become Christians, whether or not they should hold to the religious laws of the Jewish people. And so they had this dispute, and there were people saying, no, they have to be circumcised, and they have to hold to the law. And Paul and Barnabas are just steaming, fuming mad with these guys, and they're disputing with them. And finally they decide that they're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to settle the issue with the church of Jerusalem. And so they head down there, they talk to the apostles, a dispute breaks out there, the Pharisees who had gotten saved are now saying, no, they got to hold to the law, they must be circumcised. And the, the people who are preaching the gospel are saying, no way, we can't do that, we, can't, we cannot have this happening in the churches. Finally, Peter rises up and Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, reminds everybody, hey, you remember what God did when I went to Cornelius' house, how he made no distinction He didn't separate us. He brought us together as one. He gave them the same gift that we have, you guys. And why would we put a burden on their necks that they couldn't bear, even our fathers couldn't bear? Why would we do that to them? James, the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem, half-brother of Jesus, steps up and he settles the issue. He says, hey, we're just going to give them little guidelines, four things for them to live by. If they do these things, they'll do well, and everybody's in agreement. Now, if you want to know more about that, you can read through Acts chapter 15 this week and let the Holy Spirit minister to you as well. Online, go and find the message about that, and you can learn about those four things and how they apply to your life. Which brings us to the scriptures today in Acts chapter 15. We're going to start in verse number 36 and read down through the end of the chapter to verse number 41. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 15, starting verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. I just love Paul, don't you? He's just got a heart for church. And here they are, these apostles, and they birthed churches, but the care of the churches is upon him. He says, you know what, I just love these guys so much, and I I just can't wait to see how they're doing. You know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have email, they didn't have social media, they didn't even have a phone that they could call. They didn't have the U.S. Postal Service or the Pony Express even. They had to get up, they had to walk across the land or sail across the sea to go and find out and see how these guys were doing. So he says, let's go back and make sure they're doing okay. I've got the weight of them on my shoulders, and I just really want to see how they're doing. Next verse, verse 37, now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Now, stop right there for a second because we've got to explain this. John Mark was Barnabas' nephew, all right, his sister's son. John Mark is also the one that you find that wrote the book of Mark. This was a great, mighty man of God. He's the one that his mom had the house where they were having the prayer meeting that Peter showed up to and they thought it was his ghost, right, and then finally they let him in and they all celebrated. So, John Mark had been around. He'd seen some things, And on the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas go on, they brought John Mark with them. But even before they got really to the work that they were doing, John Mark left them and departed. And it really doesn't say too much about it at the time. But now here Barnabas says, hey, Paul, great idea. I'll get Mark. Now let's see how Paul responded to that in the next verse. It says this in verse number 38. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia. And had not gone with them to the work. He probably said, you're going to go and get that millennial? The kid just sits around all day. He doesn't want to work. <laughs> not millennials. Do not get offended at that. If it was years ago, I'd have said the Gen Xers. Or years before that, I'd have said the Boomers. All right? It's all the same. We all had these same problems when we were that age. All right? It's okay. We, we learn. We grow. And we change. And things happen. Right? But here he insisted they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Next verse, verse number 39, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. How sad, how awful, how wrong these two great men, these apostles, couldn't work it out. And so what did they do? They separate and they divide No doubt Paul was thinking that John Mark could not be trusted. He didn't want to do the hard work or suffer for the sake of the gospel. So why should he share in the joy of visiting the churches or receiving the fruit of their labors? Words like quitter and deserter probably flew out of his mouth during the argument. Maybe he was quoting the scriptures in the Old Testament, Proverbs 25, 19, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joy. He probably said, you know, Mark's like my sprained ankle. I cannot walk on him. I can't put any weight on him. He'll squeal, he'll cry, and he'll run back to mama. Or maybe he might have taken a quote from one of James's uh, preaching sermons that he might have heard in James chapter 1, 8 in the old King James Version. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. We can't take him with us, Barnabas. He's got two minds. He's got one for the work and one for himself. He doesn't want to work. He doesn't want to go. We can't take him with us. He's unstable. Paul had the right to be angry. He even had a right to voice his opinion. But how could the great apostle and the great encourager, Barnabas, because that's what his name means, is son of encouragement. How could the great apostle and the great encourager get into such a scuffle that these two men who had contended for the gospel and suffered together now contend with one another and separate from each other. How could that be? How could that happen? It's a pretty sad story, isn't it? Pretty awful story. And if the story ended right there, I'd be pretty sad. In fact, I probably wouldn't be preaching this message to you today. Because if there's no hope for these apostles, I mean, these guys had special relationships with God. Paul had seen Jesus, knocked them down on the road to Damascus. I haven't seen Jesus. I haven't had that experience, and yet, Is there any hope for me? But thank God the story doesn't end there. Because as God does, he redeems the bad situation, and the end is greater than the beginning. How do I know that? Because if you read on in the Bible, even though you never find Barnabas' name again in the book of Acts, you'll find his name in the letters that Paul wrote to the churches. And Paul continues to honor and to elevate Barnabas as an apostle and validate his ministry. But not only that, Paul actually talks about John Mark as well. In Paul's letter to another pastor by the name of Philemon, he tells Philemon that Mark is his fellow laborer. Another word for laborer is worker. See, he said we can't bring John Mark. He abandoned us before we ever did any work. But now here he says that John Mark is a fellow. He lifts him up to the same level as himself. John Mark is a fellow laborer. John Mark is a worker. In fact, in the book of 2 Timothy, these are Paul's last words to his young protege, Timothy. He's giving him basically his final instruction and says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 11, Only Luke is with me. Get, oh wait, what's that name right there? Come on, help me out. Help me preach this sermon today. What's that name right there? Oh, maybe online they can shout it louder than the people here live. Maybe you can type it in all caps in the comments section right now. What is that name right there? Get who? Mark. Get Mark. Wait, I thought you didn't want him, Paul. I thought you wanted to keep him away. We can't bring that guy with us. He abandoned us before we did any work. But now he says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for ministry. Wow. This man who had been cast out, this young man who was looked down upon, is now elevated and brought along. Why? Because he's useful to Paul for ministry. See, the situation was redeemed when God worked it all out in the end. God has a way of redeeming all things back to himself. And we can work with the grace of God that's in our lives. Some of you guys had a terrible year. Some of you guys might have lost jobs this year. Some of you guys maybe lost not the job but the income that you had in the job. It was steady but now all of a sudden everything's shutting down and the accounts that you had kind of dried up and fizzled out and you've had to make some changes in your life. Some of you guys might have lost your home because of that. Some of you guys, during this time, your family got depressed and maybe your kids went south. You found out that there were anger and tensions flaring up in the home and there was division now. Some of you guys might have lost your marriage in this season and this time and you're kind of reeling and wondering what's going on and what's happening, and you're in the middle of a bad situation. Some of you guys lost lost loved ones. Some of you guys are angry over losing freedom. Some of you guys are losing your mind over what you see in the political scene or the social scene or the different things that have taken place throughout the year, and you're looking at this life. You're looking at the place that you're in right now, and you're praying to God. You're saying, can 2020 just, and I can't take any more of this. Can we just hurry up and get to 2021? And yet, today... I believe that if you're in the middle of a bad situation, if you're in the middle of a storm and you're looking around and you don't see any end to it just yet, hold on and hold on to God because God will take your situation. He will redeem it. He will renew it and he will bring you through it. And there is a God side of these things, but there's also a man side of these things. And we are to work with the grace of God, the Bible says. So if we're going to work with God on how to redeem these situations, obviously they didn't do nothing. There was something that took place that take this young man, John Mark, from the place where he was to the place where he could be with God. So how do we redeem bad situations? How do we redeem bad situations? First thing is this, is make use of encouragement. We need to make use of encouragement. Did you know this is one of the greatest tools that you have in your tool belt? is encouragement. Maybe you need to be encouraged. You know the Holy Spirit is the encourager. He's the helper. He will lift you up. He will bring you up. He will build you up. But as well, there are people around you who want to encourage you. People who will be a Barnabas in your life. Maybe it's an SPT. Maybe it's a small group leader. Maybe it's one of the men's ministry leaders or one of the women's ministry small group leaders, one of the city circle leaders that will encourage you and help you. Because I see in the Word of God that apparently whatever Barnabas did with Mark worked you know that barnabas was the same one that went and got a hold of paul right when he was saul he was a terrorist terrorizing the church jesus shows up ananias comes along prays for him the scales fall from his eyes he's full of the holy spirit and he goes out and he tries to preach and it just falls flat the church separates from paul they don't know what to think of him but barnabas steps up and he goes and he gets paul by the hand and he brings him to the apostles and he says he preached boldly for the name of jesus we need to welcome him We need to train him up. We need to believe in him. Paul, you can do it. Listen, it doesn't matter what happened in your past. What matters is your future with God. Come on, you go ahead and preach. Barnabas raised him up. He pushed him forward in the ministry. He went and just encouraged him and exhorted him. And Paul became the man that he is. We would not have the scriptures that we have. We would not have the stories that we have. Paul would not have been used of God the way that he was unless Barnabas had stepped in and was used of God the way that he was. See, we all need someone in our life to lift us up. And so Barnabas did what Barnabas did. Barnabas was an encourager, and so he takes John Mark, and he says, John Mark, don't worry about what Paul said about you. Listen, that one thing, he'll change. Just give him some time. He'll settle down. He's passionate. I mean, come on. This is how the guy is. I know him. He's wonderful. He's loving. He's great, but he was just a little bit mad about the fact that you left. Listen, you can make it, kid. Keep going. You're not going to abandon the work this time. You're going to make it all the way through this journey. It's going to be great. Watch and see what God does in your life. Keep hanging around, Mark. Keep going, Mark. You can do it Mark and because Barnabas encouraged this young man the one who was thought to be useless now becomes useful for the ministry of Paul what happened to make that work it was simple encouragement first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse number 14 I'm going to read it to you in the new international version you're welcome to read along in whatever translation that you have with you and look at what it says It says, and we urge you brothers and sisters warn those who are idle and disruptive. you know encouragement comes in more than one one form and one fashion right it's not just hey out boy you can do it no there's sometimes that people need to be warned that's an encouraging thing you're instilling something inside of them that they need if you see somebody that was once active in the things of god and they stop and they're stagnant hey hey let me warn you you keep doing that it's not going to be good because the first step to backsliding is standing still You need to get moving with the things of God. You need to get back in the word. You need to get back in prayer. Hey, you used to be serving. It's okay to take a break. We don't want you to burn out. But listen, after you get refreshed and filled back up, it's time to pour out again. Time for you to get going. Listen, yeah, 2020, there was quarantine. The things were stopping. But guess what? It's time. It's time to get back. It's time to get going. It's time to stir yourself up. It's time to fan into the flame the gift that God has in your life. If you're idle, you need to be warned. Stop it. Let's get going with the things of God. But not only idle, but look at this, disruptive. People start making problems. People start dividing people in the church. People go out there and they make the gospel of ill repute because of their lifestyle. We need to warn those people, hey, you better watch yourself. Because whatever you sow, you shall reap. And God is not mocked, the Bible says. Don't think that you can just mess around with God and call it grace and think that it's all going to be okay. No, 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 no. We will all give an account when we stand before God. And some of our works will be burned up even though we may escape us through the fire. But we need to tremble at the word of God. We need to fear the Lord God. And if you're being disrupted, you better knock it off. You ever wonder why we talk to people in church when they start acting out? The Bible says everything must be done decently and in order. We allow the spirit to move. We allow the spirit to do his thing. But it comes through trusted people that we can trust and that we know. And that's why somebody starts grabbing attention for themselves. We're not letting it go there. It has to be on God. And that's what we do. We warn those that are disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. People will get discouraged Maybe you're in this place today and you're saying, man, I can't even lift up my head today. Can't even look up to God right now. Can I just get my finger under your chin for a second and just lift your head up and let you know? Listen, you're going to need to lift up your eyes to the hill and ask, where does your help come from? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He can handle your problems. If you're discouraged in this place, get a Holy Spirit lift right now. Take a deep, fresh breath of the Spirit in because God wants to encourage you. God wants to tell you, keep going. God wants to tell you, keep doing it. God wants to tell you he's seen your faithfulness. God wants to tell you he's heard your cries in the middle of the night. God wants to tell you he's seen you getting up early and getting on your knees and opening up your Bible and praying and weeping. And he's got every tear that you've cried in a vial and he's counted it. And he says, hold on, child. You keep going. You stay faithful. Don't get discouraged because I'm moving on your behalf. Though you may not see it, it will surely come to pass. Then he says, help the weak. Help the weak uh, about my kids. You know, as kids get older, no one told me this. As they get older, the presents get more expensive. Here I am thinking, man, this is great. They're not wanting as many toys, you know. Less presents, less money. Oh, no, the presents get bigger and more expensive as they get older. And so uh, my kids are getting to that age, and, and toys are not the thing anymore. And so I'm trying to think, how can I get them off video games and get them active and that sort of thing? So we, we thought we'd get them a, a foosball table, you know? It's kind of fun. And so we bought them a foosball table, and it came in this big box. And I, you know, lugged it up inside the house. I had a dolly and all that kind of stuff, brought it up inside the house, leaned it up against the wall. And so yesterday when I was leaving for the church service, um, Pastor Jessica asked me, she said, hey, are you guys going to put that together today? I said, yeah, when I get home, we'll put it together. And so she's like, all right, cool. And my son Micah, he comes up and he's like, I'll do it, Dad. I was like, boy, you cannot lift that box. And he goes, watch. And he grabs the straps that you're not supposed to grab because they'll snap and they'll fall on your foot and crush your toes, you know what I mean? So he grabs it and he's like, Aah! Aah! Dad, I'll, I'll, I'll see you after church. We'll do it together. And so what happened? Yesterday when I came home, you grabbed that side. I'll grab this side. Okay, lift with your legs, not with your back, let's get this thing and then we walked it to where we were putting it together, we put it together, right? So you might have an issue, you might have a problem you might say, listen, I can't get over this, Pastor. I've been dealing with the same addiction all my life. And listen, if that's where you're at today, can I tell you something? You get that end. I'll get it this end. I'll be praying for you on my end. You be praying on your end. I'll be keeping you accountable on my end. You can be accountable on your end. You might need somebody in this church, maybe in the new year you're going to sign up for Breaking Free and they'll say, hey, your mentor call once a week. When you call us, we're going to hold you accountable. You get that end. I'll get this end. But I can't forgive. No, you get that end. I'll get this in. Listen, we can carry this thing together. We've got to help the weak. Maybe you're struggling in the natural. Listen, you get your end. You be diligent. You stay after the things of God. Be a wise steward. Bring your tithe. Do what you know to do. Reduce your bills. But guess what? We've got this in. We've got some food waiting for you. We've got some help. We've got diapers. We've got uh, hygiene supplies. We've got things that we can help you. You get that end. We'll get this in. Help the week, look at this, be patient with everyone, especially as you leave church today and there's a jam getting on the 10 freeway. Come on, somebody. Be patient, be patient with everyone. Our founding pastor, Pastor Jim, has taught us over the years that people will only go as far as they're encouraged. My dad was a great man. He passed this year in April and uh, just had a lot of great accomplishments in his life. He was a genius as far as I'm concerned The guy was kind of a renaissance man. He was into everything. He was into, he could rebuild car engines. He was into electronics. He could work with computers. In fact, he wrote programs that we're still using for Breaking Free and our FTC out there, software programs. Just brilliant mind. The guy could draw photorealistic pictures. And in fact, he won awards for his artwork. He played music. He taught me how to play guitar. And he was in bands. Actually, was on television at one time playing the slide guitar. And just kind of cool, kind of neat to Think about a life that was lived. But I wonder because my grandfather was a mean drunk. Some of you guys know what it's like to have a parent that's mean when they get alcohol in their system. My grandfather wouldn't encourage my dad. He would discourage my dad. And he told him that art and that music, there's no money in that. You just need to get a job like me. My grandfather worked for Pacific Bell. And so my dad got a job with Pac Bell. Eventually, he stayed with that job until it became General Telephone Electric then GTE got bought out by Verizon, and eventually, right before they turned into Frontier, my dad retired. And my dad went up the ranks. He worked as a pole monkey. He was down in the manholes, that sort of a thing. He was a cable splicer. But eventually, his work with computers got him elevated into management, and he did a great job. And he retired well. And he left a wonderful inheritance for my brother and I, and my mom's very well taken care of. But I wonder, what if? What if my grandfather had said, hey you're really gifted at this art stuff. My goodness, look at that picture. Maybe we should get you some lessons in the school. Maybe we should put this into a competition and see where it goes. What if my grandfather had said, hey, you were on television with your slide guitar? Man, that's really neat. Maybe we can get you involved in a band. Maybe we can see if there's a music college or something. What if my grandfather would have encouraged my dad? How different would his life have been? Would he have been working for the phone company? Would he have been traveling? Would he have been touring around? Would he have broken into some new things in the art world or maybe in music? I don't know. But what I do know is that there are those of you today who have said, you know what, my dad was this way. i got a bigger house than my dad. Maybe I should just stop there. My mom was this way. She was angry. She was mean. You know what, I'm not mean to my kids. Maybe I should just stop right there. And oftentimes we settle where it just seems like it's good enough. But can I tell you something? Can I encourage you today? You can do more you can go farther. God has a great plan for your life. God wants to use you to be a witness and a testimony of Jesus Christ. God wants to use you to build a business. God wants to use you to build your family, not just your general family, but generations to come. Can I tell you something? God wants to use you to break out into new arenas. God wants to elevate you like a Daniel, like a Shadrach, a Meshach, and Abednego. He wants to use you like an Esther. God has you positioned where you're at at this time for this purpose. For such a time as this, you were born. God has placed you on the planet for a reason. And can I encourage you? God knows your faults. He knows your fears. He knows your failures. And he wants to use you anyway. (laughs) Pastor, how do you know all that? Because I know God uses me with all my faults, with all my fears, and with all my failures. If he can use this punk rock kid from Moreno Valley who didn't know what he was doing and take him to preach the gospel, how much more can God do with you? What can God do in your life? God wants to take you and do great and mighty and awesome things in each and every one of your life. My goodness, you're not too far from God. God can use you. Maybe that's why you're watching online right now. You couldn't even darken the door of a church right now. God probably hates me. He's seen what I've been involved in. Listen, God loves you, and we will love you to life. You get that in. We'll get this in. We'll encourage you. We'll love you while you change, because God wants to build you up and give an inheritance with the saints. Come on, somebody. Give the Lord a praise today. It's good. That's good. Second thing is this. Second thing is this. How do we redeem? How do we work with that grace to redeem bad situations? Second thing is this. is Don't stay mad slash bad. Don't stay there. You might get in the middle of a bad situation. Don't stay in the middle of that bad situation. If you're the one that's wrong, then repent. Right? Turn from that way. Change your heart and your mind. Change your attitude and your actions and get in with God. Say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Confess your sin. Make it right. Do the appropriate actions that go with that repentance and don't stay in that place. But also don't stay mad. You know, Paul and Barnabas, they were mad. They were angry. They had a fight. They exchanged words. They separated. But you know what? They didn't stay that way. You find Paul elevating Barnabas. You find Paul calling for Mark. He didn't stay mad. He changed his heart after he settled down. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and verse number 27. You want to turn there with me? I'm going to read it in the New King James Version this time. A lot of times we use that. In Ephesians chapter number 4, a couple of great verses. you got to find them in your Bible and underline them. Remember them. Take a look at them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 26 and verse number 27. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 26. It says, be angry and do not sin. Oftentimes we think we can't even be angry, right? Oh, no, I can't get angry because that's sinful. No, no, no. God says be angry. Just don't sin when you're angry. You say, well, what does that look like, pastor? Well, look at Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He lived the perfect, spotless, sinless life while he was here on the earth, didn't he? Was Jesus ever angry? Oh, no, Jesus couldn't have been angry. Um, Read your Bible. I find Jesus in the Gospels he sees what's going on in the temple of God and he gets angry. In fact, he gets so angry, he starts braiding a cord to make a whip. Did he whip people, Pastor? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. I think he probably was driving the animals out of the temple and was using the whip to snap them. But, you know, if he might have got the behind of one of the money changers, he might not have been mad about that. You know what I'm saying? Like he might have snapped some of them right on out of there. And what did he do? He overturned the tables. Was he sinful in that? No. He said, you've made this place a den of thieves. This is my father's house. It should be a house of prayer for all nations. See, his anger moved him to appropriate action. It didn't move him to sin. It moved him to righteous works. And in the same way the Bible is giving you permission, listen, it's okay to have an emotion. It's okay to get angry. But listen, don't let your anger clench your fist and reach out to harm somebody in your life. Don't let your anger cause your words to cut into somebody. In your anger, look to the Lord and say, God, I'm angry about this. What do you want me to do with this right now? Any moms in the place? Any moms, right? How many of you moms have ever said this? Do I have to yell to get something done around here? Right? See, without the anger, oftentimes nothing will happen. But when we use the things that God has given us, God gave us emotions, right? He knows that there are certain things that are going to incite or to, to ignite a passion on the inside of us that we get angry about it. Why? So that we will move into action and we won't just stay complacent. And that's why if you ever wonder why Pastor Dan seems so angry when he's talking about sin or why Pastor Dan seems angry about people getting back to church, man. Why is he got to be angry? Here's the reason why. If I didn't get all up in your face, you'd probably sit there and do nothing and just be complacent thinking, oh, it's okay not to go to church, That's all right to live and sin and do whatever I want to do. No. We know better from the word of God. That's why in the anger, it moves us to action. Appropriate words, appropriate deeds. goes on. Look at what it says. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. My wife hates this verse. You want to know why? Because I know the verse. Because when we're getting into an argument late at night, she knows she's not going to sleep until we resolve the argument. Now, the principle is, is don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't let things linger. Don't stay in that bad situation. Don't stay angry. Reconcile, work it out, all right? Get it together. That's where at two or three in, my wife's like, like, she doesn't call me pastor. She only does that when she's me- messing with me. But uh, she, says, she says, Dan, I don't care if you're wrong or if I'm wrong, or if you're right, or if I'm right, all I care about is I love you, I forgive you, and let me go to sleep. I'm like, yes, argument's done. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Don't let the devil mess with you. Don't let the devil get you so angry that you get into sin. Don't let the devil take that foothold in your life, because when you get into sin, you get out underneath the covering of God, and the devil can take you down. See, this year I watched very sorrowfully Things that took place in our nation. Here, we were isolated for months. And out of that isolation came stories of injustices that were happening in our land. Things that kept coming up that we didn't understand. We didn't know the whole story. Things that were hidden. Things that were revealed. Things that kept happening over and over again. And all of a sudden, all of these people are angry about it. Of course, if you confine people to their own home for months and isolate them from relationships and healthy things, then guess what's going to happen? They're going to get mad. And when they get mad, they're going to go and break stuff. They're going to go and loot. They're going to go and tear things down. Does that make it right? No. That's the wrong action. But I understand why ungodly and sinful people would do those things. But then all of a sudden I started watching as this went over into the church. And people that I loved, people that I poured my life into, people that I cared for, People that were like family to me all of a sudden started keeping us at arm's length. If you haven't noticed, I'm Caucasian. That's a code word for white. And because of the color of my skin, they said, we can't be friends. We're not, we're not family anymore. We're going to go settle over here with this tribe with the color of our skin. We're all the same color over here. You stay over there. And it hurt. And it was hard. Some of you guys probably experienced that. Maybe it wasn't because you were white, maybe it because you were black. People started to separate, treat you weird, treat you differently, where they never treated you that way before. And it brought up old feelings and things in our nation that we thought we were moving on from. And here people were angry, people were mad, people were having a hard time. My wife and I, we were talking to one of the ladies here at the church, she's a beautiful, wonderful woman, full of the wisdom of God. And as we were talking to her, she said something that just, just resonated on the inside of us. It was such a word from God to us. And she said, listen, they're mad right now. Just give them some time. They'll get over it and watch and see what happens. And sure enough, we took that word to heart and we committed to the Lord. We said, okay, God, we give these people in your care. And you know the same people that pushed us away, the same people that wrote us mean text messages, the same people that we thought we had lost our friendship with, they started to reach out. They started to apologize. They started to say, hey, can we have a conversation? Can we talk? I, I want to apologize for what I said, you know, and, and they started to come around. They started to have those healthy conversations. We started to be able to come back together as one, like I believe the Lord wants us to. Don't stay in that place of being mad. Don't stay in that place of being divided. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 in the New Living Translation, look at what the first two words are. It says, above all. In other words, this is priority. This is important. Above all. You must live as citizens of the United States of America. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that not what your Bible says? Above all, come on and help me preach this message today. You must live as citizens of what? Of what? Of what? Of heaven. That means we ought to be living the high life, not the low life. That means that we live above the problems of our society in this day and age. It doesn't mean that we're oblivious. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant. It doesn't mean that we don't vote or that we don't use our citizenship here on the earth for the advantage of the gospel. But what it means is is that our priority above all else, we must live as citizens of heaven. Did you know that in heaven, you are a spirit? The real you on the inside of you, the color of the tent that you live in does not matter in heaven. Because you are a spirit being. God is spirit. No one has seen God. You haven't seen your spirit. Don't tell me you've got some aura, some color that you're going to be that color of the rest. No, that's utter foolishness. Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek slave, nor free male nor female. And in our day and age, we probably could act black or white or red or blue. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? There's no political affiliation in the kingdom. There's no natural tribal affiliation in the kingdom. There's not even male or female or gender identity, which everybody's all up at arms about in the world. Listen, they're ignoring good science. Anatomy, come on, it's basic, it's easy, right? It's either male or female, but there's not even that in the kingdom. Wow. That shows me we're picking at the wrong things. We're biting and devouring one another. For what? We are not to be divided. We are to live the high life and live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, next part of the verse, look what it says. I will know that you are standing where? Not apart, not divided, not on different sides of the aisle, not on different political platforms, not on the color of our skin, not on our background, not on our education, not on how much money we have or don't have. Listen, we are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are not to contend with one another. We are not to fight with one another. We are to fight together the common battle of pressing the gospel forward on the earth. Oh, I should have had a better amen than that. The church should not be divided. We are to be united under the name of Jesus. There's no longer the blood of men that divides us, no, there's one blood, the blood of Jesus that unites us. There's one race, and that's the human race. We are all redeemed in Christ Jesus. Can somebody say amen? (laughs) Last one, I gotta conclude, I gotta end. Last one is this, is allow God to lead. Allow God to lead. You do your part, you stay in there with God. Make sure to make use of encouragement, make sure to get out of that mad, that bad situation. But we need to allow God to lead. release the reins. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and guide you and move you. See, we previously saw in the book of Acts how God used the bad situation of persecution against the church to scatter the church. And as the church was scattered, we'd say, bad, wrong, oh no, what's going to happen? But what happened, just like scattering seeds, now all of a sudden there were new churches sprouting up. Philip went down to Samaria and preached the gospel. People got healed, people got delivered, people got saved. It was amazing. Philip continued on, and oh my goodness, planting churches everywhere. The gospel started to get out. We'd say bad, but God says, I'm going to use it and redeem it and work it out. Let me lead you. In the same way, when we take a look at the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Barnabas separating, we say bad. Oh no, what's going to happen? But now notice, you don't just have one dynamic duo of Paul and Barnabas. Now you've got two dynamic duos, Paul and Silas and Mark and Barnabas. Wow, would Mark have become the man of God that he was had he not gone with Barnabas and got the encouragement he needed? Would he have been able to spend time with Peter and write the gospel that bears his name? Maybe, maybe not, but God used it to do great and mighty things. And here God redeems this situation. And now instead of one apostle team, we have two apostolic teams going and strengthening churches and planting new ones. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11 and 12 in the voice. All right, this is a paraphrase, and I love the poetic language that they use and the way they, they brought some truths out of the word of God. Look at what it says up on the overheads, maybe on the lower thirds for those of you watching online. Deuteronomy 32, 11 and 12 in the voice is this just as an eagle stirs up its nest. Hold on, you got to get a picture of this for a second. You got to get a picture of this. Eagles will create nests out of sticks, right? They'll they'll create a rigid structure. They'll take sticks and twigs and different things that they find, and they'll put it together, rocks even, and they'll create this rigid structure of a nest way high up on the side of a mountain. After they create that nest, they'll take leaves and then eventually feathers and softer things that they pad the nest with. They'll take feathers off of even their, their, their front part, that soft underbelly. They'll pull that out of themselves, and they'll line the nest to soften it. Then they lay their eggs and they sit on them until they hatch. After they hatch, the eagle will go out and it will get food and it will bring it back to the eaglets and they'll feed them there. And it's a comfortable, warm, soft surrounding. But there comes a time where those little eaglets start to grow up. They start to get big enough that they're able to spread their wings and kind of catch a little bit of the air that's coming up the side of that mountain. They'll start to float up and down, but they always stay in that soft nest. But the eagle knows when it's time because it will start to take its sharp talons and it will start to stir the nest up. It'll start to scratch through the leaves and the down feathers and all of the comfortable surroundings, and it'll stir those twigs and those rocks and those sticks up. So then when the eaglet comes up and it comes down, it goes, ooh, something poked me in my foot there. When the little eaglet tries to go to sleep at night, man, something was in my back the whole night, and I just, I, I don't know, can, can somebody help me adjust my neck? It's just, it's wrong. Sitting down to dinner, and oh, oh, wow, what was that? You know, something poked me right there. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there not a good place to sit around here anymore? What's going on? Why? Because the eagle knows that it's time for those eaglets to fly. And so the word of God comes along and says, just as an eagle stirs up its nest, encouraging its young to fly, and then hovers over them in case they need help, and spreads its wings and catches them if they fall, and carries them up high on its wings. Oh, my goodness. Look at the picture of God. Because the very next part of the verse, verse number 12, says this, so the eternal guided Jacob through the wilderness without the help of any foreign God. God does not need the world's help. God does not need the education system's help. He doesn't need the political system's help. God does not need the economy's help. God does not need anything else. He himself knows the way in the wilderness And today you might have found yourself outside of soft surroundings. Maybe 2019 was a great year and then 2020 hit and you're thinking, my goodness, what is going on? There's not a comfortable place in this whole year. People might have died. People might have gone south. People might have turned their back on you. The job may have handed you the pink slip. You might have had to do more stuff online than you ever dreamt and that caused eye strain. And now you've got headaches every day and you're wondering what's this all about? Maybe old sins came up that you thought that you would overcome and now all of a sudden you're struggling again and you're battling again and the surroundings are stirred up and things just don't feel right. Could it be that God is saying, I stirred up the nest. I've started to take you out. I'm pushing you out. I want you to spread your wings and I want you to fly. Could it be that God is saying, I'll be there to help you and to lift you up? Listen, the Bible says if the righteous fall even seven times, he will get back up again. Why? Because God will see you headed down, and God will come and carry you on his wings and lift you up to the heights once again. Because you were not created to crawl on the ground and lick the dust. That's for the serpent. No, you were created to soar. You were created to fly. You were created to accomplish the will of God for your life. God wants to lift you up. God wants to lead you. And if you'll let him, even through the wilderness that you might be in, God will lead you and bring about good things and redeem those bad situations in your life. In the early 1800s in France, there was a three-year-old boy named Louis went to his father's leather shop. He was playing with an awl. I've got a picture of one of those up on the overheads for you guys. An awl is a very sharp instrument used for working with leather and puncturing through and pressing and making divots and different things like that. As he was playing with this all, he injured one of his eyes. And the eye got infected. Within two years, the infection had spread to both of his eyes and he was completely blind. Lewis's parents, having compassion on their son, wanted him to be educated and they couldn't educate him themselves. And they couldn't educate him at the local school and so they sent him to a school for the blind. While he was there, he was there for Ten years until the age of 15, and he met somebody who was trying to develop a code system for the military. The code system was very complex, it was working with dots, and it just was too hard to work with, and people couldn't get a hold of it. But Lewis saw promise in it, and so he took that system and he started to develop it, probably using an all and poking dots in the paper to lift it up. And he used that same system, but he simplified it to six dots, each dot representing a letter of the alphabet. Until finally they had a system of being able to read that people could actually use. Fifteen years old, he created that system. Many of you guys probably have already guessed his last name. This was Louis Braille. And the system is used even to present day of people learning to read, using that to read books, even the Bible, by the system that this man developed. Could it be that God was going to use the thing that harmed you, the thing that hindered you, the very thing that pierced you, and caused great difficulty and great stress and trial in your life? Could it be that God's going to take that very same thing and redeem it and use it to be the thing that will bring about his word, his triumph, his goodness, and even redemption in your life and in the lives of the people around you? Let's pray together today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? Father, we're so grateful. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are the redeemer of all things, God. Lord, no matter how bad it may get around us, the wilderness that we might be walking through presently, Lord, we say lead on. Place our situations, our pains, our problems into your hands. Today, this last Sunday morning service of 2020, would you just take a moment and ask God, the Holy Spirit, What are you speaking to me through this message? Maybe God's speaking words of encouragement to you today. He's telling you you can do it. Keep going, don't be idle. Maybe He's giving you a scripture. Write it down, look it up. What's God speaking to you? Maybe this year you've been so angry. Maybe you've created some bad situations. God's saying, don't stay there. What's God speaking to you? Some of you, God's leading. He's showing you the way in the wilderness. Could be that He's giving you action steps, a plan. Might not look like what you think. Maybe He's telling you to fast in January, telling you how to do it, to seek Him for the next step. If God's been speaking to you and you haven't written it down yet, write it down. I know if I don't write stuff down, I forget it. Just the other day we were talking to somebody, I said, write it down. And I noticed they didn't write it down, so I texted it to them. Not trying to be mean. I just know if I don't write stuff down, I forget it. Write it down. What's God speaking to you? Maybe you're here with your spouse, a faithful friend, maybe your children. Maybe you're watching online with your family, some friends. You want to share that appropriately. Maybe you want to put it in the comments section online. You want to share that. It's whisper in their ear. Maybe show them the note that you wrote. This is what God said to me. It brings agreement. Yeah, I'll believe God with you for that. It brings accountability. I'll be praying for you, and I'll remind you of that. Father, we thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for your word, Lord. Those things that you've committed to our hearts, we commit back to your care. And We say, lead us, Lord. Guide us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.